This is Moving Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn. With me, as always, is Mitch. Mitch, how about you say hi? Hello, everyone. This is Mitchell Kakalka, community editor and dancing monkey for Central Michigan Life. So um, this week, as I'm sure you can already tell by the title, we're going to be talking about a little bit of a sensitive topic and how it pertains to what we normally talk about here every week on the show, you know, film and cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, as all of CMU is aware, we had a uh, incident here uh, about two weeks ago now. March 2nd. Yeah. So, so a little bit over two weeks. A little bit over two weeks ago. Um, there was a tragedy involving a shooting. I don't really want to get into the specifics of the case. I think everyone's pretty well read on that. But it kind of made me think about how certain films that I've watched that have dealt with the phenomena of school shootings, um, how they kind of deal with it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, school shootings are something that we almost can't escape in this generation. It seems like Mm -hmm. every day there's another or at least another one is plastered on, you know, news sites all Mm -hmm. over the place. And uh, I think that we can actually learn a lot about, like, the pathology and and about the situation through some of the films that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you were actually reporting, like, on the ground during the whole thing, Mitch. Yes. Uh, What what was that whole experience like, really? Um, Very tense. That's really the only way I can describe um, it that entire day. It wasn't. And I think um, we just need to clarify, like, what happened on March 2nd wasn't a school shooting. Right, right. It was a shooting that took place on a university campus. And so it's important not to kind of, like, um, lump that in with a lot of of the tragedies that have been happening. Right. Um, It seems to be, like, increasing rate across the nation. But for there was a period of time, a couple hours after it happened, like, during the lockdown that started the campus where – People were genuinely afraid and genuinely concerned that this was this phenomenon that has been happening around the nation that had come to Central Michigan University. And and I witnessed that firsthand on you know social media, people mm-hmm. just telling people misinformation yeah. and then turning right around and telling them the same people telling different information to multiple different people. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, a little bit obnoxious. But uh <clears throat> yeah, we're not conflating the tragedy that happened here a couple of weeks ago with mm-hmm. any other, you know, shooting that's happened. We're not mm-hmm. saying that this is a school shooting or, you know, we're, we're, we're not here to argue the semantics of it. Mm-hmm. We're kind of just uh, trying to delve into this topic and try to be as you know respectful about it as possible. Mm-hmm. So the first film that we want to talk about this week is a film called The Dirties. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Okay, action. 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 What are you doing? I thought we had it. We go, Jared, come on, man. Okay, go against this thing. <laughs> okay, action. You know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in France? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? No, you idiot. They call it a Royale with cheese because of the metric system. Royale with cheese? Then what do they call a Whopper? They call it a Royale with cheese. Yeah, I should be doing this whole thing as Bane. They call it Royale with cheese. Uh, oh, dirties. Watch out. Um, the Dirties is the directorial debut of Matt Johnson, um, who also stars in the film. Wrote it. He wrote the film. He edited the film. He produced mm-hmm. the film. Um, it's really his baby. And uh, the, the the film essentially tells the story of two uh, kind of socially challenged 
um, high school kids. They're, they're film geeks. Yeah, in yeah. High school. They're they're in their film club. They're in their photography clubs and everything. And uh, Matt, the main character, he's a very proficient editor. He's actually like a huge film buff. Like all he does is speak in film quotes and mm-hmm. film analogies. And oh, you remember in uh, Pulp Fiction when like that the whole movie? He's just doing stuff like that. He name drops irreversible. I remember. And like he does. He minutes. does. Um, which I, I, I love that, that drop, but, um, his best friend Owen is also kind of a movie buff, but he's kind of reaching that point in high school that most of us probably felt where we kind of start branching off from the people that we clung on to for so long, you know, as, as far as friendship goes and all that. And, um, throughout the film, they kind of develop a little bit of a tense relationship because, the film tells the story of Matt and Owen. Uh, they have this project in their video class called The Dirties. And The Dirties is the short film that they make for the, their film classes, anyone who's in a film class has to do. And uh, there's a group of bullies at their school which they label The Dirties. Mm-hmm. So Matt conjures up this idea of, you know, hey, I know that how in that movie that we made, we pretended to kill our bullies, but what if we actually did it? Mm-hmm. What if we actually came to school and only killed the bullies or the bad people, you know, quote unquote, the bad people? Mm-hmm. You know? And Owen kind of takes it with a grain of salt, kind of thinks he's joking and he's being, you know, fantastical mm-hmm. as he usually is throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and we need to kind of um, clarify this. It's it kind of like keeps up that like back and forth between them like throughout the entire movie. It's right. not all the way up to the end. Up until like the finale. It's yeah. not really um clear to the audience like whether or not Matt's character is like actually actually like meaning what he says. Yeah. Um and as you kind of sit with the characters, um you realize that Matt has a lot of sociopathic tendencies mm-hmm. and he has a lot of just social detachment from everything around him. Um, but also you kind of get a glimpse into how he kind of brings this social um, isolation on himself. You know, Matt isn't this this tortured soul who just has the world kind of um, against him for no reason. He is kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. He is kind of um, unbearable at times. And he is kind of a flawed human being, but he kind of chases that flaw as, you know, other people's problem. Mm-hmm. He's not a character that accept, that accepts personal responsibility. And that kind of, it would make sense that he would do something so non-empathetic as, you know, mm-hmm. arming people at his school. It's f- probably one of the more realistic um, depictions of, like, sociopathic tendencies. Um, I totally agree. Um, the, the, the film is a found footage film, but mm-hmm. it's probably, I, I'll go into, you know, print saying this. It's the best found footage movie I've ever seen. I'd agree with that. The best one, hands down, bar none, because the thing that is such a great gimmick about the film is that because it's found footage and because Matt Johnson is an editor and because he understands the language of editing, there's a lot of moments in the film where you're wondering, well, wait, why are they filming? Why is this being filmed? And they they make a lot of... Um, illusions as to why it's being filmed. They're mm-hmm. friends with the people that are filming. They're kind of like their their lackeys that kind of hang around with them in their video classes and everything. They're they're classmates that are essentially in on it with them. And the whole film is Matt 
kind of leaving this video diary of mm. what's going to be coming later. Mm. But it's such a from from an editor perspective, from someone who like really studies like the language of editing, it's perfect. Like there's a scene I remember that's very they um, include like pop music and host this little short little montage that you'd see in like any other film. Right. And like it's just kind of like a throwaway gag. Like later in the movie, you can see like Matt like as computer actually editing editing that, that scene, that scene together, yeah. like in, in, including the music with it. Yeah, because the first time I saw that, I was like, "Well, wait, that kind of ruins the whole thing because you can't do that in found footage." And then later mm-hmm. when he's editing. My yeah. heart just melted. I was like, thank <laughs> you, Matt Johnson, for getting editing in a found footage movie. Mm-hmm. But um, so back to, you know, the main plot of the movie. Um, again, spoilers. Like every episode here is spoiler, mm-hmm. spoiler episodes. Yeah. Um, Matt kind of experiences some disconnect from Owen because Owen gets more involved with music. He gets more involved trying to chase girls and kind of just be like a typical high school guy while he Mm -hmm. still can and not just be this, you know, movie nerd in in a basement with his friend. And Matt feels really threatened by that. And uh, his his animosity towards everyone around him really starts just uh, opening up. There's scenes where he's in a uh, a, uh, auditorium at the school and there's like a a spotlight and he's he's you know up near the spotlight when people are rehearsing for a school play and he's pretending it's like a gatling gun just mowing people down mm-hmm. and no one really cares or does anything or mm-hmm. questions it the the main climax of the film you know he comes into his school he went to the, like the secretary of state in his hometown got the blueprints for his school you know they just handed them to him because he said it was for a project and he walks into his school with these giant black bags fill, filled with film gear because he's setting up cameras all around his school so that he's going to get the shooting on video because, you know, he's a he's a director, a wannabe director. It's mm-hmm. his first impulse. And I think the film really shows how Matt is flawed and he's a tortured human being, sure, but there there's clearly the burden is on him. Yeah. Other people didn't drive him to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people were bullied throughout school. I was bullied in school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have that frustration, but it it the film clearly shows that this is not the the proper way to to showcase this and it doesn't mm-hmm. uh romanticize his behavior at all. Um I, th- I think you should mention that the film is very like entertaining. It's it's very comedic. It, it's a comedy. It's up in, up until the finale, like there it's not even sure like what to feel like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of very unclear where um uh matt's character arc is going um it's a very in, in that way it is a very effective character study yeah because mm-hmm. um tonally like through um the dialogue and like through matt johnson's acting um the the film like and through his editing choices like the film like puts you within the mind frame of its main character um, until it just pulls the rug out from underneath you at the very last minute. Yeah, I don't want to talk about how the film ends. A lot of people hate how the movie ends. I like how it ends, personally. Mm-hmm. I, I, It's a little too cliffhanger, but, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Matt, Matt's character is very multifaceted. There's a great scene where he, uh, it's, it's shortly before the, you know, the climax, the shooting takes place. He's 
in his kitchen with his mom and he's mm-hmm. asked her like, am I crazy? Like, do, do I seem crazy to you? And his mom's just like, what are you talking about? Like, no, you're, you're normal. Uh-huh. Don't try to be anything that you're not. And it almost feels like Matt has this, this thing about his character where he wants to be the, the sociopath. He wants to be the, the tortured artist. He wants mm-hmm. to be this, um, mentally unhinged person because he thinks that it's going to give him this illusion of um, complexity to his humanity that he doesn't already have. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's a really sad moment where, like, you can tell he so clearly is insecure in who he is as a person, but he brings it on himself. Uh-huh. Like, the, the, the main real, like, moral of the film, I think, is... Uh, you know, not to romanticize these characters as, in all cases, these these tortured lost souls who went to violence as a last resort for, you know, whatever familial problems they were having. In a lot of cases, these are fairly willful decision-making, you know? Um, Which I think is, like, a very important um, thing to take away from the film. Um, yeah. And uh, it just goes back to, like, how realistic um, this portrayal of... Um, a fledgling like school shooter is like they're all some people who engage in just these kind of like mass violence are always are portrayed in a lot of media as kind of like you said like tortured loners kind of like um they're often very attractive mm -hmm. very sculpted um there there's emotional things about them to get an audience on their side Mm -hmm. there's not really a lot of things to get the audience on matt's side he's not no offense if Matt Johnson ever hears this. I don't mean any hate. He's not overtly attractive. He's not uh, very charismatic in his character. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have great clothes, great hair. He's a very plaintive kind of dorky high schooler. Mm-hmm. And he's a kind of like fr- he's he does a very good, good job of portraying like the kind of friend in high school that like Owen's character like you distance yourself from, like, immediately after you graduate. Yeah, yeah, once you have that social clout mm-hmm. to not rely on these people. And Owen kind of realizes that. There's a mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments in the scene, um, in the film, is uh, Owen and Matt are standing on, like, a uh, hill somewhere, mm-hmm. kind of just spending time with each other. And uh, Owen's visibly uncomfortable because he knows Matt's kind of becoming obsessive about this whole dirties thing, and he's not sure if he's really going to do it. Mm-hmm. So... Matt and Owen are standing at this uh, hill, and Matt's doing this bit where he's, you know, oh, what if I was standing at, at the edge of the hill and I fell off, or I, you know, you thought I was going to fall off, and you went to reach me, then you fell off, and he's doing this really over-the-top bit, and Owen's like, stop. Mm-hmm. It never ends. Like, you're always doing this character, or you're always acting, and, like, I just want to talk to you. And Matt can't have this, like, really sincere moment with him. Mm -hmm. He can't have, like, a human, genuine, vulnerable moment with another person, his best friend, you know? Mm -hmm. And he he does, like, things like that, like, throughout the film, like, up until that point, but that's kind of the point in the film where you kind of take on Owen's point of view and you kind of, like, see Matt for, like, what he is. Like, this this kind of just, like, again, I guess, geriatric, like, actor who who can't, doesn't really... um, seem capable of feeling genuine emotion that Mm -hmm. isn't um, scripted, like, within his own kind of, like, mindset of, like, what 
um, basically like following like a film. Yeah, and the the film doesn't really try to impose like a politicism to it. Um, you know, one one question you're probably asking yourself is, you know, how did he get the guns in, in the film? He gets the guns through his cousin, who's just like a a, a buddy figure who mm-hmm. has a you know a hobby as a lot of Americans do of going to go shoot targets and you know mm-hmm. deserted fields and stuff. And I think that by including that and showing that it's, you know, Matt's not going to this gun store. He's not going to a gun range. He's not doing a loophole or anything. Um, he's not going to, like, some dark market to get these guns. He's getting them from his family. Mm-hmm. He's getting them from just a completely on-the-surface innocent source. Yeah, I think that's way more poignant and way more... Um, politically like fruitful than if they were beating you over the head with like a you know anti-gun message or a pro-gun message yeah i think that i think the fact that it's like not politicized is just kind of more relevant because it just it makes sense in like modern america yeah and the film's much more about the falling apart of two friends Mm -hmm. than it is about you know violence in america or anything like that like i watched interviews with matt johnson and he strikes me as a person who genuinely hates how you know killers and school shooters whatever mm-hmm. get kind of lambasted or, or praised or um romanticized ro- romanticized exalted like the columbine shooters you know they're mm-hmm. they're two people that really get romanticized yeah for whatever reason um and he's you know in, in interviews he says how like disgusted he is with that he doesn't even consider you know films about school shootings like their own genre it's just a topic it's mm-hmm. just something that happens to take place in the film so we didn't enter the film with the intention of making this film making a statement about gun violence he wanted to make a film about two friends falling apart in this kind of socially timely manner mm-hmm. which I, I can't commend him enough for the movie I think it's just like mm-hmm. kind of, I, I'd, I'd say it's a masterpiece honestly I'd agree it's Whenever people ask, like, w- like, what's the most, like, underrated movie, like, in the past couple of years, like, that's, that one was, like, always one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, I barely heard about it at all before, like, I just watched, like, a movie you- YouTuber talk about it. Uh, what, YMS, right? It was, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Shouts out to YMS. Um, yeah, so, moving from there, that's our first film, The, the, the Dirties, director Matt Johnson. I believe it's on Netflix. It should I, still be. I watched be. it on Netflix a couple years ago. I, I believe it still should be on there. Uh, the second film that we want to talk about is a bit more of a uh, traditional film of the three that we're going to talk about today. That's uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. He's a sweet little boy. That's what boys do. What next, Mumsy? You just can't get uncomfortable enough, can you? Uncomfortable? We need to talk about Kevin as kind of the yang to the ying of the dirties in that it does a lot of things badly, but it also does a lot of things really well, I think. Um, I think it falls into that category of like romanticizing a little bit. And we'll we'll get to that as we talk about it more. We need to talk we need to talk about Kevin as a uh, film essentially about a child born who seems predisposed to violence or predisposed to um, sociopathic behavior. Mm-hmm. 
um, Tilda Swinton's the, the the lead actress, and through a series of uh, flashbacks, jump forwards, the film's kind of told in a non-linear, but it kind of mm-hmm. comes together in the middle um, structure. Her and uh, her husband, John C. Riley, um, you know, have this child kind of non-prepared, and throughout her raising of him, the, the child being Kevin, she realizes that Kevin and her just do not get along, or there's like this this disconnect between them. It's it's almost like he's he has like kind of a Kevin was like born with a bit of a sadistic streak, and yeah. she's really like the only one who can see it because he's he acts like a completely like perfect child around um, his father, like mm-hmm. John C. Riley. Yeah, and um. Like, there's scenes where she's, like, trying to teach him how to play games when he's a baby and teach him how to talk or change his diaper. And he'll he'll throw things at her. He'll just, like, not participate. He'll, you know, fill up his diaper immediately after being changed and kind of give her, like, a, like a, almost like a troll face about the whole thing. And she takes this as, you know, you're bitter towards me. You hate me and I hate you. Like, we just don't need to like each other. Mm-hmm. Which probably the worst attitude you could have as a parent yeah. for a, you know, at-risk child or a problematic child. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as the film continues and Kevin gets older and older, he doesn't change. It kind of just becomes escalated as he becomes a teenager because instead of, you know, throwing things and being a little bit of a jerk, he's actually hurting people. There's a scene where it's implied that he... um he, he's an archer. That's like his his hobby. He, he's in his backyard. They have a beautiful house, beautiful property, and he'll be in his backyard shooting a bow and arrow at targets. You know, he'll do this like all day. Mm-hmm. And it's implied in the film, it's not shown on camera, that he shot his sister in the eye one day because she was annoying him. She has to wear an eye patch the rest of the movie. And John C. Riley, you know, oh, well, she shouldn't have been playing out there. You know, he didn't do it on purpose. And the wife is convinced he's this spawn of hell essentially Mm -hmm. um the film kind of continues on with you know his his continuing development to this sociopathic behavior and hits a climax when he goes to school and you know with his bow and arrow commits a pretty horrible crime but the film focuses a lot more on the mother's fallout Mm -hmm. and how the town responds to her post the events of how she failed her son or how it's her fault and you know people uh throw fake blood at her house people harass her in the grocery store and i think that the film is trying to convey how you can't hold the parent responsible because like the dirties you know that burden exists on kevin Mm -hmm. kevin chose to do these things he really didn't have any reason to do Mm -hmm. them it's never implied that he's bullied He's extremely attractive. He's played um, by Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, his. which I'm sweating just thinking about it, you know. <laughs> but he, he's like a very, you know, attractive, charismatic young guy. He has, like, everything lined up for him, but he just chooses to behave in this horrible way. And then at the end of the film where, you know, Tilda goes to go visit him in prison, he essentially tries to guilt trip her into being into feeling sorry for the situation, but then he also uh, ends the film with saying, you know, I'm not really even sure why I did this. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
like where the film succeeds, it succeeds in, I think, a pretty strong character study of Tilda and Kevin both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it fails in its romanticize in, in its you know romanticizing of Kevin. I think it does that a bit in the film. Did you ever get that that feel? I think because the story is told from Tilda Swinton's like point of view, I never I never really got like the romance because like it's obviously that um, it's obvious that like in within the film's universe that like the uh, Kevin's character like is romanticized like he's romanticized mm-hmm. by his father. He's he, he he's easy to romanticize like he's again he's very attractive, very charming. I think we we see that through the lens of. Um, his first and one of his most like longest suffering victims, like his mother. Yeah. Um, so I can say I think it's a matter of interpretation. Um, that, that's probably fair. I think the point where I thought it was a little bit um, romantic surrounding him, I think it had a lot to do with just like the phrasing and a lot of the cinematography, some of the outfit choices for Kevin, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, he's, he's Ezra Miller, he's attractive, I get that, but I, I don't need to see his, you know, lower upper crotchal region at, throughout the film like you know i get it but it, it seemed a little bit unnecessary but uh I, I think this film's super strong everyone i've recommended it to shown it to basically says the exact same thing um but it's it's a film that relies a little bit too much on um i don't know i feel like it relies a little bit too much emotionally on Kevin to carry the film because I feel like what's more interesting is Tilda mm-hmm. throughout the whole film and her it, it's almost like fatalist you know like you you it, it's fate that you have this child and it's fate that he's this horrible horrible human being and really he's kind of like that from the get-go like from birth mm-hmm. so I feel like a huge theme in the film is fate and how you know through in in society People often talk about conditioning and, and, you know, your environment. I think that the film's trying to point that in some cases that's that's not really relevant. Some people, and I don't agree with with the point, but it's it's making the point of some people are predisposed mm-hmm. to, to commit these terrible acts. I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I think it just kind of, um, well, off the films we're talking about today, they don't, all the three films I was talking about don't really come to a, concrete like conclusion like what causes this to yeah. happen like wh- like why are um in all cases um all like young white men like why like there's so many of them like turn to like to, to this um type of behavior yeah and there's really no one answer like everybody coming um everybody in society kind of has like their answer of like what's causing squishing there's re- there really yeah. isn't um Unfortunately, it is kind of like a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Um, I feel like too often, like, the, the narrative is, you know, where have the, the, the lost men gone? You know, they're, they're like these lost, aimless young men. And, oh, society's forgotten about them. Society's given them a short end of the stick. And, you know, where, where else are they supposed to turn to but mm-hmm. violence? Um, I feel that's a bit tone deaf, especially when we're talking about, uh, you know, early 20s, late teens, white guys. Who look like Ezra Miller. Who look like Ezra Miller. Um, And I also think it's a bit ironic that people want to talk about environment, they want to talk about conditioning when it pertains to, you know, young white uh, shooters, but not 
you know, inner city crime, then, you know, they're predisposed to, you know, commit horrible crimes. But these school shooters, they're very delicate. We need to very carefully, you know, observe them and see, you know, exactly what's going on. Yeah, see, like, what went wrong. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the the irony is nothing went wrong. That's mm-hmm. kind of the irony in all of these films, that nothing went wrong. These these men aren't lost. They're not um, in the shadows. They haven't been forgotten by society. They feel like they have been because of some uh, entitlement in their character or some delusion of grandeur that they have about themselves. Like Matt's character, he thinks he's this creative beacon who's smarter, more cultured, and more intelligent than everyone else around him. Mm-hmm. Well, not everyone else around them is solving a problem by shooting people. Yeah. Like that. that's kind of the whole point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we need to talk about Kevin, um, our second film that we've, we've talked about today. Our last film is going to be Elephant, directed by Gus Van Sant. Mom's gonna kill you. What? What are you doing? Dad, I'm driving. You have a car, Dad. 2003 film. This is probably the most ominous of, of the films that we're gonna be talking about today. It's the most, um, like I kind of mentioned, the dirties is part comedy up until like a very dramatic ending. Um, we need to talk about Kevin as very- Purely a drama, I'd mm-hmm. say, yeah. Um, Elephant, yeah, it's like you said, like ominous. Like it just has like this kind of like. It's a very cold, non-human film. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire film is basically told in long tracking shots of high schoolers enjoying a high school day. Um, not a lot of conflict, not a lot of plot, not a lot of real development anywhere. A lot of beautiful cinematography, though. Mm-hmm. I will say that Gus Van Sant's a genius. Um, but he was inspired to make the film because of, you know, Columbine and, you know, everything that happened with that. Um, Elephant was actually the first film about a school shooting after Columbine. It was actually the very first film to be made about that subject post-Columbine. And um, I think what Van Sant wanted to do was not insert himself into it at all and just Mm -hmm. observe what this would look like when it was taking place. the, go ahead. It's the second film of a uh, kind of like unofficial trilogy that yeah. he did um, about like real life death. It's like the first one. Um, Jerry. Jerry was about two men lost in a desert. Which was based on a true story mm-hmm. that actually happened. Um, elephants loosely based off of Columbine. Like it doesn't in the universe take place in Columbine, but it's pretty obviously, especially in that social context that it was released. Like yeah. it's a movie about the Columbine shootings. Mm-hmm. And the last one is um, Last Days. Yeah, kind is, of like a... Pseudo a bit about Kurt Cobain and like his last days, like all based off of real life deaths. Like I think it's the death trilogy, is yeah, what people call the death it. Trilogy. Um, and all they all like do their best to per, to portray these scenarios in as realistically as possible, and um, with special attention to just like the base level human emotions yeah. of all this. Um, and I I like how um, Gus kind of approached this subject matter and how he filmed it because it was 2003 wasn't peak era for filmmaking especially american filmmaking Mm -hmm. he very easily could have made a very dated very like tone deaf like you know traditional blockbuster drama kind of like an oscar bait type film about it Mm because his career was pretty strong around this time he had goodwill hunting under his belt you know he, he could have very easily 
done another more mainstream film about this topic and essentially sold out the topic. But instead, kind of just stuck to his guns and did this very slow, very cold, very um, uh, ominous film based off of the Columbine massacre. And the two shooters in the film are, again, two young white guys who, apart from some very minor bullying and some parental neglect, I would say, is probably fair, um, there's really nothing in their lives that would lead you to think that they would commit these acts other than they committed them. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a scene... Uh, closer to the climax of the film where uh, the two shooters are kind of hanging around the the main kind of leader's house. It's just him and his best friend, but he's more mm-hmm. the you know, de facto leader. And um, they're sitting around his house. He's playing piano. He's playing Beethoven, um, Moonlight Sonata. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, which, you know, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. But um, his friend is playing uh, an FPS, like a first-person shooter. Which, you know, around that time, th- those were really blowing up around, you know, a mm-hmm. lot. Like, ever since the late 90s, those were an often very looked at, critically, form of entertainment, which a lot of people said was probably inspiring school shootings yeah. because of, you know, you're holding the gun, you're killing people, you're rewarded for it. And uh, I think that's really poignant for uh, him to observe those two things. He's observing one character's musical aspirations and his talent to a degree he's playing the piece competently and you're observing the other friends kind of uh how he spends his his downtime just playing this mindless video game and i think it's funny because i'm not of the opinion that video games or anything really causes Mm -hmm. this stuff and i think it's it's just as uh credible to say that beethoven inspired it than you know, a first-person shooter. Yeah, I think that's the the key to that scene is kind of like the juxtaposition of like it's not it's not um, a violent media that yeah. causes this. Like people, have, um, you re- it really like c- comes from the person th- themselves and not from um, like the things around them necessarily, or at least not um, media. media I, I think like, I think media is the key there, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, so prior to the shooting, they 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 spend this downtime together. They take a shower together and romantically embrace one another. Um, some people have read that as, you know, oh, they're conflicted sexually and maybe that drove them to commit. I'm not sure. I think that's more or less just a scene about um, them knowing this is going to be their last day. Mm-hmm. They're going to die after this, so yeah. why not? Um, which again, I, I think just proves to how these characters aren't as tortured or complicated as society will paint them, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, the, 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 the shooting that actually takes place at the school, I think is like borderline chilling to watch. Yeah. They're pretty definitely. hard scenes to, to stomach. Especially how realistic it is. Like that, I'd say like Barna is probably the most realistic scene of like the, of that sort. Yeah. Like ever put on film. Yeah. Um, just watching the individual characters, which you've watched throughout the film kind of, you know, meet with their friends at lunch, go to their, you know, like their photography clubs, mm-hmm. go to like their, their library job. Just live like they're perfectly normal, like 
imperfect high school life. Yeah, yeah. You know, go to gym class, play outside, and you're watching these exact same characters basically shot in the exact same structure, like these very distant, long-panning, um, uh, steady, long takes. Mm-hmm. You're watching them go through their high school. The light's black. There's, like, a fire in a trash can. No one's around, and they're just walking alone, terrified. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that there's really no better way to capture how that must feel. And I feel like, you know, talking about this with, with kids that are going through a school shooting now, mm-hmm. I feel like they would find that depiction respectful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's not it's not an ABC it's not family. hyper stylized. No. Not no. unrealistic. It's yeah. realistic to the point where it's like horrific. And it's just, also, oh, go ahead. Go ahead just in how emotionally, like, just how like unmanipulative the cinematography and like the filmmaking is like Definitely. doesn't manipulate the scene or the emotions at all. Yeah, it's it's very honest mm-hmm. for you know, and it's it's, oh, it's just such a great movie. I I love Elephant so much. Um, I think of of the three films that we've talked about today, it's definitely the hardest to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I would recommend it definitely. I I I recommend all of these films if you're someone who feels negatively impacted by you know the events that happened a couple weeks ago if maybe you feel a little bit stressed about it or you're looking for a way to kind of maybe relate to other characters who've been in a similar psychological scenario mm-hmm. not not a literal same scenario but like they may psychologically feel the same way you do i think that watching these films could at least give you insight mm-hmm. or at least give you comfort in knowing that Maybe the way that I address the situation needs to change, or maybe I should address the situation a bit more thoroughly or more nuanced, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the big question is, what can we learn from these films? Like, what, what does cinema teach us, or what, what can we learn from it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's a really big question. Do you have an answer for it? Um, I think it's kind of a Rorschach test with, with each of these films. Like, you can... Take you can take away a lot of, a lot of things like elephant in particular. You can take away um, a better understanding of what like the reality of that situation would look like for the people going through it. Mm-hmm. A bit more unbiased, like truthful depiction of the emotions behind something like that. Whereas we need to talk about Kevin is more about uh, the personalities of the people the people who might turn to a crime like this and the people who they affect directly like, through their lives. The dirty is kind of the same. It's more of like it tr- tries to put a spotlight on um, the personalities behind things like this. And so that's, again, like if if these films could give any concrete answers, then, I mean, we wouldn't live in the world that we do live in today. It's... Uh, I think these films r- raise questions. That's really all you can do um, with the subject, especially especially um, <coughs> nowadays, where it seems like like I said, it seems more relevant than ever. And, and it seems like an issue that is just more and more not getting an answer. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like the the argument. The argument is limited to two very specific sides, and any other side that is 
slightly outside of those two, it's not even encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if that if you're a person who is pro gun, and I'm a pro gun person, yeah, you know? I grew up in a very pro gun family. Yeah, I, I I have no objection. You know, I I'm, I'm a pro gun person myself, but I can honestly say that from watching these films and from just kind of really dealing with the the, the scenario myself and dealing with the the conflict myself. It's not a gun problem. It's a culture problem. I think that these films all kind of point to that, how the problem isn't the fact that a, a, a physical item exists in the world. The, mm-hmm. the idea is that there's people who, who want to cause harm with them. And I think that throughout the film, or throughout all the films that we've talked about, every single character doesn't strike you as an overtly violent person. Mm-hmm. They're all fairly wimpy, fairly docile white guys. Um, and if anything else, I think that the film would, would want you to take away the sense of, um, alertness or the sense of, uh, it's not as black and white as you may think it is, you know, um, it's not as simple as, oh, if we create gun laws to prevent people from buying guns, the situation will be solved. Mm -hmm. It's not as simple as if everyone's armed, there will be no crime. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely not as easy as arming teachers like yeah it's it's definitely not that i think we can all agree there but i think the answer lies in just being able to um look at every problem with nuance and instead of looking at it as how can i interject my point of view and how can i inter- interject how i think the world should work how can i prevent more people from getting hurt mm-hmm. you know yeah that that's what i take away from these films uh, I, I can't recommend every film that we've talked about here today. It's unfortunate we have to talk about mm-hmm. this incident. And uh, again, th- th- this isn't us trying to create you know, connections between other crimes and other tragedies. This is just us giving our opinions as a response to what has recently mm-hmm. happened. I'm trying to kind of just like point out media that does kind of has like a prerogative of uh, shining a light on this issue as effectively as cinema um, allows us to. Yeah. You, you, you know our opinion here. You know, uh, we're of the opinion that cinema can do a lot more than most people probably give it credit for. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is really no exception. So with that, this has been Moving Pictures. I've been your host, Brent Gunn. Mitchell Kalka. Thank you for listening. 